Well, we are in week three of a series called The Others. And over the past few weeks, Dan Meyer has unpacked for us the beginning of a conversation on how to orient our lives to the flourishing of other people. And he reminded us on the first week that we would have a conversation about how people who are oriented to the others are outgoing. They're treasure-seeking. They're hospitable, which is where we will spend our time today. They're empathetic, resourceful, and self-sacrificing. Everything on this list is a hard and humbling and high calling. And to enter into the presence of God is to enter into the presence of the divine creator who has oriented his entire being around the flourishing of the others, all of us together. And that God is a God of hospitality and generosity, who knows how to welcome and invite and make folks feel at home like no other God ever could or ever will because he is the God of the universe who does that for us. Now, when we think of hospitality through our Western lens, we think of having folks over for a few hours, probably on a weekend night. We don't want them to come too early because we're not always ready for them. We don't want them to come too late. And sometimes we don't want them to stay too late. We do the check the watch, maybe get up, start cleaning the table. We have little hints and cues that we offer people. We have a hospitality industry that boasts in the United States alone 55,000 hotel rooms, 5 million people on any given night are in a hotel or staying in a hospitable place. We have Disneyland that is touted as the happiest place on earth. Unless you're there with your children like we were this summer and we waited 90 minutes for the Matterhorn and then it broke down. <laughs> Not the happiest place on earth. My mom uh, at the lake house where we spend some time in the summers has a, has a plaque on the wall that quote that I believe is attributed to Benjamin Franklin. It says fish and house guests start to smell after three days. <laughs> we have limits on our hospitality. We are Westerners. We live in Western cultures where we have to get things done and we keep to the clock. Our text for today is the sending out of a group of people by Jesus who are sent into the first century to rely upon the hospitality of the people all around them. It would be astounding to us if someone showed up on our front door today expecting us to put into practices the rites and the rituals and the routines that were in play in the first century. In the first century, travelers could come and knock on your door any time of the day or night. They could show up with any 
language, any skin color, any age. They could show up sick. They could show up tired. They could show up injured. And the custom of the day held that you were to open your door and welcome them and make space for them in your home. Should you choose not to do that, you would bring disdain on your community. You would be known as the inhospitable community that could not welcome a traveler. You then would not be received by another community should you hit the road one day and need the mercy of a stranger. You might even bring calamity on the head of your community or your village if you sent away someone who was traveling with some military prowess or at the time they believed magicians and people with magic might be traveling. You had to welcome the stranger in. And that stranger could stay a few days or a few weeks, or if they were injured or, or ill, they might, they might stay a few months. And you would feed them and you would clothe them and you would ask to the best of your ability how they were, you would spend time with them. You would then send them on their way with provisions to get them to the next place on their journey. Because the journeys were long. There was not Google Maps that could tell you the quickest workaround <laughs> to avoid the traffic. They couldn't go on TripAdvisor to avoid all the shady motels. They were at the mercy of what they were sent out with and the next place that would receive them. And from here to there was a desolate climate, the threat of thieves and robbers and people with ill intent. And the only way a traveler, a perfect stranger, could survive in the ancient world was to rely on the hospitality of the others. Jesus is sending his followers out on a journey to rely upon the hospitality of the others in their culture. The chapter right before our passage for today is Luke chapter 9. And if you take a quick look through Luke chapter 9, there's a whole lot packed into this one little chapter. Jesus predicts his death not once but twice. He feeds the 5,000. That story is in there. He unpacks for his followers how hard it is to be on a journey for him, telling them that you will pay great relational and social cost for hanging out with me. He sends out the 12 disciples at the beginning of that chapter, and then after all of that, as if that wasn't enough to deter you from this mission I'm putting you on, Luke 10 starts out by saying, after this, after all of this, then the Lord sent 72 more out. Two by two, he sends them ahead of him into the towns that he is going to. And he knows that he is sending them to hostile communities that might rob them on the way. And when they land in the actual community, where a stranger welcomes them, that they will be relying upon the goodness of that person. And he says to them, you know what, don't even take your sandals or your purse, your wallet, whatever. Don't, don't even take that. It might get stolen on the way. And oh, by the way, if you pack too much and pad yourself too comfortably for the journey, you're gonna miss the opportunity to know that I, the God of the universe, can provide everything you need. 
And when you get there, he says, don't go from house to house looking for better accommodations, like peeking in the door and going, uh, let's see what the guy next door's got as far as accommodations. He says, don't do that. And when you go, be the stranger, the visitor, the journeyer who brings my peace into those places. Be a purveyor of my peace. Be the best guest they ever had. Be the presence of God in that place. We are invited, my friends, to participate in a hospitality industry that works like that. Divine hospitality. Mark Buchanan, fabulous preacher and pastor from Canada says this. He says, Western hospitality, as we talked about, is inviting friends over for a few hours. He says, biblical hospitality is persuading strangers to stay one more night. Divine hospitality is pursuing enemies at great personal cost to turn them into sons and daughters and to welcome them in your house and at your table forever. Divine hospitality is what we are asked to practice. And as Dan has talked about these past few weeks, the others in our culture are not bedraggled stragglers knocking on our doors at 2 a.m., although that might happen and that does happen. But the others, as we've discussed, are the people who we don't quite get and aren't sure we want to get anyway. They're from that generation or that neighborhood or they did or didn't go to those schools. They have houses over there or maybe they don't have houses at all. They vote with that candidate. Those others are the ones we struggle to embrace. And we think to ourselves, maybe, thank God I'm not like them. And some of them would be the last people on the planet that we would ever say, we are going to invite over for dinner. And to be clear, hospitality doesn't mean inviting everybody in the world over for dinner. Some of you are at an age or a life stage or a place of life that you don't have a house or a table to invite somebody over to. Hospitality doesn't mean you have to cook like Martha Stewart or Bobby Flay or whatever it is. Hospitality means you have to be fully present to those other people. To sit with them and experience them and listen to them and receive them in such a way that you treat them like they are more important and more valuable than you. And that might happen at work. That might happen on a walk to or from school, on the bus, whatever it is. Henry Nouwen says this about hospitality. Hospitality means primarily the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It is not to bring men and women over to our side, 
but to offer freedom not disturbed by the dividing lines. Could you imagine if we practiced this sort of hospitality? How many of you have ever been invited to participate in a gathering or a conversation with someone who looked at you and treated you like that? with a completely different set of ideas and a different background, but who was genuinely interested in you and what the God of the universe was doing through you and in you. This is the invitation of divine hospitality. Hebrews 13 says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. See, the adventure of a hospitable posture in this life is that you never know who you're going to meet. And it doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert. It matters that you open your life to the possibility of divine surprise from another. Years ago when I was in seminary, a bunch of my classmates and I decided to go on a little expedition of sorts. And we were mostly a bunch of white, uppity, hiking gear wearing, granola eating brats, if I can just say it. And we thought we were going to travel to the other part of Denver, the Five Points neighborhood, and we were going to participate in a meal served up by another culture. And we went to Ethel's House of Soul. Have any of you ever had real soul food? Right, it's not like the thing we do in the western suburbs always. But we went to Ethel's House of Soul and Miss Ethel, as she was called, was actually born and raised in Chicago on the south side where she learned how to cook soul food alongside her mom who ran a concession on the south side of Chicago. And in the early 70s, at 19 years old, Ethel took all of her mama's recipes by memory to Denver, Colorado and opened up a restaurant. And until she was 75 years old and hung up her apron just a few years ago, Ethel cooked handmade, loved up on, home-cooked meals for everybody, any size and shape and color and race and gender and whatever it is that walked into her restaurant, they got loved up on and fed by Miss Ethel. And you could get a whole meal for less than 10 bucks and she only took cash. And Ethel cooked up fried chicken and collard greens and ribs and macaroni and pork chops and pig's feet and smothered neck bones and Salisbury steak and dumplings and, of course, a giant hunk of cornbread to sop up all the gravy. And Ethel's was sticky in the most glorious way. And I remember we went there with my classmates on a very hot Denver day. And I remember sitting down and I remember thinking, I am stuck to everything in this restaurant. <laughs> the vinyl, like plastic booth and the tablecloth. And Ethel came out and wiped her hands on her apron and welcomed us. And I remember looking at the menu thinking, oh dear Lord, what are neck bones? What are we going to do? We eat energy bars. <laughs> it was the most fantastic meal. And we had the audacity to think that Ethel needed us to come to her restaurant. Like she needed our meal tab. Like we were doing her some favor by 
you know, being patrons in her establishment. And man, did we get served up some humility. And we learned that we had been received by one of the most glorious women in all of the Denver restaurant industry. And she listened to us and asked us questions and then moved from table to table and worked the room and was the most hospitable presence to everybody there. She pointed out to us the mattress propped up against the wall in the corner that sometimes she would flip down on the floor because she would sleep there so she could wake up at 4 a.m. and make the biscuits and the gravy and the cornbread and everything else. And the thing with that experience that stayed with me was that when you think, when we think we're going to do this hospitality thing and we're going to be the ones that go to that place and invite those people over or we're going to get on a plane and go 2,000 miles away and bring our hospitable goodness to somewhere else, what we find out is that the people we think we're serving sometimes serve it to us, right? And they can teach us more in five minutes about the glory and the goodness of God than we can learn in 20 years of Sunday school. But we can't learn and be humbled by and, in awe and made in awe of others until we learn how to fully be present to other people. Because if we had sat at that booth and just kept on with our, we need to be here and you need us, it wouldn't have worked. But we shut our mouths and we listened to Ethel. We were her guests. Mike Mason says, to enter the presence of people is to allow others to be more special, more noticeable, or more present than we are to ourselves. I struggle with this. I want to be the cool one. I want to be the one known for whatever. True hospitality puts others way above ourselves. Notice how many times Jesus was a guest. Do you ever think about that when you read through scripture? You know, he started his life as a guest in Mary's womb. And he slept in a borrowed manger and he was buried in a borrowed tomb and throughout scripture, he went to eat at the home of strangers and friends and enemies, Simon Peter and Levi and Martha and Zacchaeus and all of the Pharisees who would invite him over just to bait him and try to ambush him. Over and over and over again, Jesus is received by others. And scripture tells us people didn't really get that he was the son of God. So do you think that when he went, they knew that the Lord of the universe was dining in their presence? But this is what happens to us when we extend the presence of God in our truest and fullest selves to the presence of another. What we receive is God's goodness in them. And sometimes you got to peel back a lot of layers to get there. And we have to look past all the ways we are different and all the reasons why we argue and all the reasons why we categorize and why we're polarized and why we, why we attack on social media over this issue and that issue, whatever it is, we have to set all that aside and realize that that person who you might say in a million years, I would never spend time with them, that very person will mirror God back to you one day. And there is something we have to learn from them. And the only way we can do it is to sit fully and beautifully and humbly in their presence and receive whatever conversation, whatever meal 
whatever moment they are able to serve. So how do we do this? It's not easy to find ourselves in that vulnerable of a place, to find ourselves dancing the dance that is hospitality. It's sometimes we're the host and sometimes we're on the receiving end and there's power exchanged there. How does all that work? Two quick things. Two quick things to take away this week. The first is you don't have to look very far to find someone to be hospitable toward. And we do think sometimes I gotta go over there to that place. Sometimes you just have to look around your own house or up and down your own street or at the people sitting next to you in the chairs and the pews right now. Sometimes that's what it is. Because some of you walked in here this morning high-fiving people and hugging your friends and you're sitting next to your family and some of you walked in here today for the first time or maybe the hundredth time and thought, I don't know anybody here. I don't know if I belong here. I don't know if these people care whether or not I'm here. You know why we do that awkward moment at the beginning of church where we make y'all shake hands with one another? It's not just so we can see y'all squirm. Because <laughs> I know some of you are like, oh, okay, I'm going to go talk about the bears or, you know, whatever it is. It's because we need to interact with one another. Years ago, a person from this congregation said to me, that is the only time they shake hands with another human being all week long. This person thanked me because we greeted each other at this church, because that was the only human contact this person had all week. Never underestimate the power of being present to the person sitting right next to you. Felicia Thompson calls this housekeeping. She always says we gotta clean up our own house and love up on each other so that we can be the best version of ourselves as we go out and throw our arms around and love up on this great big world we are called to be about. So this week, maybe before you leave here today, meet somebody new, and not like in this like awkward way, it's gonna be awkward no matter what, so let's just say that, right? Just go greet somebody new, and ask them how they're doing, and then actually listen. Actually listen. It's a small thing you can do, and if you don't do it here, you can do it at work, you can do it at school, you can do it in your own home. Turn your heart toward the other, and try to be fully present in a moment with them this week. Look for the way God is in them this week. And second, remember that we do this because this is how God treated us and how God greets us. How many of you were ever picked last for a team somewhere in your life? Or grew up in the era where you would stand and the, the two team captains would pick students and you would just the whole time go, please don't let me be last. Please don't let me be last. And I was a colossally horrible kickball player. And I remember this vividly in elementary school. It's a giant ball and it would come floating to you. And I would just think to myself, I just got to kick it and then I'll get picked for the team. And I missed the kickball every single time in elementary school. And I don't know why. I'm fairly coordinated now as an adult, but I could not kick the kickball. That and I couldn't climb the rope in gym class. I just couldn't do the rope. And I remember the torture of gym class where the teacher would sign or sign two students to the front and they would pick the kids. And I was picked last every single time we played kickball. And I remember thinking to myself, I matter. I am better at 
this than you think. Do you see that I count for something? And there was always an uneven number of kids in our gym class. And so I would stand there, and it was like, who's going to get stuck with her? How many of us feel like that pretty regularly in life? And there's a part of me that likes to think we grew out of that, and there's a part of me that realizes we feel like this every day in some way. And a lot of us are standing going, pick me. I've got something to contribute. I promise, just give me a chance. Friends, this is what God did to all of us. He gives us the chance. He picked us all at once for the kickball team. And he's in his glorious majesty in the heavenly realms. And we all show up at the door in the middle of the night, this messy pile of humanity, and we don't speak the language of heaven, and we don't know the customs, and we're dirty. And even on our best day, our righteousness is but filthy rags, and we bang on the door and we say, God, can you pick me for the team? And God says, look, I've already picked you. You can come in. And by the way, I'm not just going to leave you in the foyer. I've prepared a place for you with many rooms. And you are invited to be my guest forever. And then we hang out a little bit in this Jesus business. And we read our scriptures and we realize what we're told by God that after we've been received and put our feet up on the couch and we lavish and lap up a little bit of this divine hospitality, there's this scripture that says, now go and do likewise. Because you have freely received, my friends, now freely give what you've been given for the sake of the other. Go be present this week because God is present to you. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be in your grace-filled presence. Help us, God, to be about the flourishing of the other. Help us, Lord, look around this room or, or the cafe room or the sanctuary or wherever we find ourselves this morning, Lord, let us start by just looking around and marveling at the others who are in this place this morning. And let it motivate and inspire us to marvel at the goodness and the majesty and the glory of the others all over this world who you've asked us to love and to be loved by. And everybody together said, amen.